Hey, 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 everybody. Hello, friends. We have a couple of quick Art History Babes Nation updates for you. What's going on over here in our world? First off, we have a new featured artist. Zach Clark. You might recognize him from some of our previous episodes, such as Corita Kent or Albert Durer. And our upcoming episode on Robert Rauschenberg as Which well. Which is going to be great. It's going to be Just doozy. as rambly and crazy <laughs> as the first one. So we're officially blaming that on Zach. Yeah. But you've maybe heard him before on the show. Um, he's a friend of ours and he's an artist, a printmaker, and he is our featured artist and he has created a beautiful print set called Confabulation is a River in California and it is available for purchase on the mm-hmm. Art History Babes website. It's a really interesting print set and just really interesting concept and if you want to learn about it learn about the story behind it and learn about Zach and his process and his life as an artist you can head over to our YouTube channel and watch our featured artist video because we're on YouTube now guys we got quite a few videos already we're on YouTube we're just you're we're just expanding the content you can see our faces now yeah our faces are gonna match our mouths <laughs> Watch the words come out. (laughs) It's pretty great. It's cool. It's a pretty cool thing. So we do. We have a handful of videos up right now and we're going to keep making them and keep churning them out for you guys. So be sure to check out the YouTube, subscribe and like and hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put content out there. But yeah, so just some fun, exciting things. What else is going on? Do we have other exciting things to talk about? We're going to have new merch coming out soon. Oh yeah, merch. Summer merch is coming soon, which means spring merch is going to be going. So if there's anything that you've been thinking about getting and having pulled the trigger now might be the time now might be the time so head over to arthistorybabes.com check out our merch check out our featured artist check out all of our stuff that we're working on for you lovely people and for you lovely patrons shout out to all of our patrons on we love you so we love you so much patreon.com slash arthistorybabes you guys make it possible so thank you you're all amazing and uh let's get to the show from Cabernet to Montmartre, they're here to slay the art history babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. And we are the Art History Babes. <laughs> And we have a very special guest with us today. Yeah. Put your beer down. <laughs> <laughs> dear, dear friend. There's no drinking allowed on this show. What's, what's wrong with you? Dear, dear friend, Zach Clark. Mr. Zach Clark hey, today. Hello, Zach. How are you guys doing? We're great. We're doing great. We just spent a solid half an hour discussing conspiracy theories. Yeah, apparently Devil's Tower out in, what is it, Wyoming? Wyoming. That's actually a remnant of a gigantic tree. Petrified? At least that's conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. Be on the lookout for future Art History Babes hot takes episode on conspiracy theories. We love them. We're going to talk about them. We're going to do like a three hour episode on conspiracy theories. (laughs) That episode is going to take a year off my life. It's going to be crazy. Jenny's eyes are going to be like rolled so hard in your head that they're going to get stuck like that. They will. Yeah. 
but today we have our friend Zach Clark with us. Zach, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm an artist here in Oakland. I went to graduate school with all of you. Yeah, we met Zach at grad school. Uh, I already <laughs> want to divert this to like seven different topics that have just come up. That's good. Um, That's great. But tell us about you and your work. Yeah, first so time. I am a printmaker-ish. I work within books and prints and photography and other print-based ephemera. And I publish books for myself and for other people under the name National Monument Press. Which Devil's Tower is the first National Monument? Already going full circle here. Are you serious? What? I didn't know that. That's crazy. I didn't know that either. Old TR. Would you consider yourself a bookman? A bookman? Maybe? Like an old English term, like, it is. I'm a bookman. <laughs> um, He's never considered himself a bookman. Apparently not. My uh, I don't, well, I really don't consider myself almost anything because I'm not good enough at any of the things oh, I do. Please. Dude, oh, no. I feel that vibe, though. I know oh, what no, you no. mean. It's not like a self-deprecating thing. It's no. just like you like to do a lot. Well, no, and also, like, printmaking and bookmaking are very storied, precious crafts that yes. there are people who've mm-hmm. studied forever. Mm-hmm. For sure. And because of that, there's a certain level of elitism, if you will. Yeah. But that sounds a little more condescending than I mean for it to be. I and so. I'm self-taught in everything, basically. It's what I don't really know what I'm doing. But Zach, we thanks. love what you do. Thanks. Yeah. No, I yeah. love what you guys do. Aww. We're, so we're recording in Zach's clean studio. <laughs> um, there's two. There's a clean studio and then there's the real studio. Yeah. Your works are up around here. I was saying I think it was when you were in the bathroom, but I love your haystacks. You know that. Thank you. I've been like a haystack fan for a long time. Zach does these beautiful haystack prints. They're that are just, so amazing. They speak to me in my soul. They're really beautiful. He's also done a lot of amazing post-election work. Yeah. Do you, is there a specific name for this whole series? So the whole series is called Monolith. Oh, yes. Or yes. they are the monoliths. Yeah. To find a crack in a monolith. Yeah, Love so that it. was the very first piece that I made November 9th. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember and, that. I remember my face being tear-soaked and seeing your Instagram post with that and just being like, hell yeah. Yeah, you came out mm. with that right away. Yeah. We were all still nursing our hangover. <laughs> we were hungover and wearing all black. Yeah. And just like, <laughs> yeah. really upset. Yeah. yeah. And then you, you posted that on your Instagram and I was like, yes. <laughs> Find it, please. <laughs> Trying. Working on it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's an excellent series. They are, for those of you at home who can't see them, they are letterpress prints that are all fairly small that are made with small... They're these geometric abstractions with text that have all been in response to the current state of political affairs. And especially at first were very kind of raw responses to the election and politics and specifically my identity as a straight white Christian male and the idea that demographically I belong to a populace that I am so counter to. And so trying to make sense of that. And I worked on them for a few months. I have to think about that. A few months and then 
had to step away from them for a while. And I can say without a doubt that my general mood and anxiety got like so much better. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, my mom died, so that caused that to kind of divert things away from politics um, for a while to make right, some different kind of work. Yeah. But then now they will be in a show in San Francisco at a gallery called Incline that's opening October 13th. We'll all be there. We're going to be there, actually, because that's Ginny's unofficial birthday extravaganza is also coinciding with Zach's gallery opening. Yeah. So... Friday the 13th. If you're in San Francisco on October 13th and you want to check out these amazing works by Zach Clark, what's the gallery again? The gallery is called Incline. Incline Gallery. It's in the Mission on Valencia Street. Also in the show, just to give everyone credit, is on buoy Anna Roti, Leanne Coleman, Wessam Al-Badri, and another person I totally apologize that I have no idea how to say that name. And it is curated by Sharin Makaremi. And it's going to be a really great show. Azucena Hernandez? Oh, hey, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, <laughs> um, uh, um, we are thrilled, and we are going to be there, and I think that it's going to be a great show. I'm yeah. excited. I'm really excited. Come out, check out some cool art, hang out with us. The Art History Babes will be there, and Buy me a friend... drink. I'm turning 42. <laughs> <laughs> also, you get to spend Friday 13th in an old morgue. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be lit. Come on. We're gonna yeah. be so the fact that it's turnt. in an old morgue is I'm right. so excited, fascinating. Right. I am so excited. When Corey heard it was gonna be an old morgue, her eyes twinkled, <laughs> and and then I suggested that we do some kind of weird Friday the Thirteenth witchy ritual. We will, which we definitely should do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyway, it's, so. it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. So definitely check that out. If you are able, if you're in the Bay Area, we'd love to meet all of our Bay Area peeps. Yeah, come find us. I mean, I feel like we've dropped our locale on a couple of occasions. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I've only ran into one person that I had never met before, and we were at a bar in Davis, yeah. and we had a young girl come up to us and say, are you... Jen and Corey from the Art History Babes? Yeah. And we were like, yes! Crazy. I, there was actually another random art history undergrad that emailed me recently and was like, are you Corey from the Art History Babes? I was like, yes! <laughs> yeah, oh, so... We love that. Yeah, so come, so exciting. Come visit and uh, we'll hang out. And we'll uh, drink. Yeah, we'll, we'll drink uh, and we'll talk about art, which we love to do, as you know. That's literally our favorite thing to do. <laughs> Before we move on to the content, like the deep contents of this episode, deep. anything else you'd like to say about your work? Not right. No. Uh, <laughs> All right. You can find me everywhere on the internet at Zach Clark is. Yeah. Z-A-C-H. Zach Clarkus. Zach Clarkus. I always say Zach Clarkus. Like, Zach Clarkus. Uh, yeah. Zach Clark uh, is here on Instagram. He's live, baby. On all the other things. What's yeah, your What's true. your website? ZachClarkIs.com. Perfect. Yeah. Oh. Well, Zach at Zach Clark is is my email address. There's wow. a There's you have your a, own domain. It's How did an you ecosystem. do that? How did you do that? <laughs> Don't tell us right now. It's too much. We want to be the art history babes at Art History Babes. <laughs> oh, I can show you how to do that. Yeah. 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 Let's do that. I can't what, wait. What do you run through your website through? 
Squarespace. Squarespace. Oh, oh, hear that, Squarespace? They're making their next move. Squarespace. <laughs> They're ready for your advertising dollars. Yeah, 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 we are. Um, that was a free one. <laughs> nice. I was going to say, yeah, but we'll have we'll have links to all of Zach's stuff yeah, and below we can put the a link episode. Up to this opening as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. But Valencia t- Street is just a fun time regardless. True. Uh, great. Okay, so today, by our friend Zach's request, we are discussing an amazing woman who I am so glad that I got to research a little bit and I'm yeah. excited to learn more about by the name of Karita Kent. I have never heard of this lady before, and I was so intrigued just to find out that this amazing printmaker graduated from University of Southern California in art history. She didn't know that. Yeah. She got her master's degree at University of Southern California in art history. Art history, She is a art history babe. (laughs) She is a wonderful printmaker, makes really vibrant, beautiful work, and to top it all off, she is officially known as Sister Mary Carita Kent of the Immaculate Heart. Yes. In Los Angeles. So yeah. she was a nun. A nun. A nun. Nun Yeah. Oh my goodness. So really? Good. How exciting. This She's... multifaceted woman. Yeah. Truly. Definitely. <laughs> so Sister Carita was born in 1918. She lived until 1986 as an artist very active in the 60s, mm-hmm. which you can tell pretty clearly when you look at her work. It's very influenced by... Bright colors. She was part of the pop art movement, a lesser known name that you, you know, may not know of, but she was respected within the pop art Yeah. Movement. She was well known within the pop art movement. She was an art professor at Immaculate Heart College in LA. She also taught an art center in LA. She's a Midwest babe. She was born in Iowa. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Corey is so excited right now. Where in Iowa? In Iowa, Fort Dodge. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I love this woman. It's amazing. Is she? I think she's also a Scorpio babe. Or she's a cusp. November 20th. So that's cusp. I think that's Scorpio Sagittarius cusp. I think it's still Scorpio. I think it's still. We're going to claim her. Yeah, let's you claim her. Should. High five. You two should, yeah. Also, um, you, you get to claim her because Scorpio ends on the 21st. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay, I just need to, like, make a statement. <laughs> All of the babes we've been talking about, Hilma of Clint... Sonia Delaney and Karita Kent were all Scorpios. Can we feature like a Virgo at some point? Because I'm like getting jealous. Yeah, of course we will. But we've just been on a roll of Scorpio babes and I'm I'm loving every bit of it. No idea. It's worth pointing out, I am also a Scorpio. Yeah, Zach is a Scorpio. Oh! Zach Zach and I are very similar astrologically. Mm -hmm. My birthday is November 12th. His is November 11th. Ooh. We are Scorpio Suns, Leo Rising. Yeah. You guys Which, are both Leo Rising? Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's a very specific combination. Do yeah. They get in great debates. <laughs> we, I would just say fights. We but fight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we fight a lot. Scorpios <laughs> just fight. <laughs> See, I feel like it is somewhat fight, but it's always on really interesting topics. So that's where I choose the word debate. Thank you know, you, you guys yeah. had a surprisingly intellectual discussion about Justin Bieber. It was an argument, <laughs> yeah. but it was smart. 
I was smart. I, yeah, I appreciate that. I didn't stay long because I wanted to dance in the main part of of the studios. (laughs) Yeah. And you did dance. And I did. No, we do. We tend to get into, yeah, I think we both call them fights, but they really are debates because they're with love. We never walk away, like, mad at each other. Oh, you both enjoy doing it. Yeah. Like, you can't help it. We're both. (laughs) It's literally so true. We're both just very they passionate. They were just doing it, like, before we started and, recording. And me and Jen were, like, oh, sipping our think... mezcal, and we were like, guys, we should probably... Yeah, basically, Zach and I, pretty much every time we're together, we get into some kind of debate. But that's funny to me that, because a lot of the, t- like, I didn't even read that as a very intense debate. But, like, I, I no, like that... I like no, that you guys, no, didn't, like, no, pick we up. saw where it was going, <laughs> yes. and we were like, we gotta stop yeah. this. Yeah. It, it is. It's just our Scorpio intensities. Like... <laughs> We're just intense and intellectual people, so you know how it is. Back to our girl, Karita. Karita. Okay, so Karita, such an amazing, just amazing human being. I was doing some research on her today. There is a documentary about her called Become a Microscope. Do what? Everything is so perfect. You know, I know, it's so good. It's so perfect for her because her whole vibe, which I'm sure Zach is going to elaborate on, like, so as a teacher, she just wanted to teach her students to see. She just wanted to... Oh my God, that's like what we believe in. I know. She just... the most pure goal. (laughs) So... She just wanted to teach her students... To stop and to really see things, to see the world. And so many of her her assignments she had for students, so many of the different field trips they'd go on, that was her entire goal, to stop in a moment, in a space, and break it down and look at just it. Just stop. Just see it. Collaborate and <laughs> listen. listen. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to elaborate? Well, a, a testament to your point, the catalog about her someday is now. Oh, it's um, so nice. The yeah. final page of the catalog is the viewfinder that she handed out to all of her students oh with a perforation for you to be able to take it out yourself. I love it. Oh, she is so amazing. Yeah, so cool. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's what she'd do for her students. They'd go out into like LA with viewfinders and she'd have them look at the landscape, at the buildings, yeah. and really look at small portions of what you see every day. That's blowing my mind right now. (laughs) I have never, I mean, we taught two years of undergrad, and I have never thought to use a viewfinder. Right? To teach my students. A lot of museum education does that now, which is great. That is really interesting, and I'm holding on to that one. Yeah. Viewfinders. So, pedagogically, she was dope. Like, I think she just did some amazing things with her students. Revolutionary. Yeah. And in this, in (laughs) this documentary... Zach is aggressively flipping through this book. (laughs) I mean... Zach loves this book, and it's the it's a beautiful book. It really is. Beautiful. In the documentary, Become a Microscope, basically they talk to 90 different people that knew Karita Kent, many wow. of which were students. Hmm. So we're students at Immaculate Heart in L.A., and they talk about their experience as students with her, and it's really beautiful to listen to because most of them have lovely things to say, there are moments like there was one woman who said that she just kind of glowed and that it was like she had just this lovely aura. Oh, yeah. I know. And her students also talked about how not only did Karita teach them 
to see and to look, but she held them to very high standards. Like yeah. they had to That's a good work, teacher. Right? So they were in this place where they loved her and they thought she was lovely and they loved being around her. But at the same time, she made them do work. Yeah. And there was one anecdote where she had assigned them to do a hundred sketches of something specific, do a hundred sketches. And the due date was like two days from then. Oh my God. I know. And, <laughs> And the, and, and the students are like, that's impossible. And Carito is just like, no, it's not. It's just, not. It's actually <laughs> not. Yeah. Just do it. And they did it. They showed up on Wednesday oh, with their sketches. Oh and my they God, did I want to be her. I know. I want to be her. <laughs> Can you imagine having her as a teacher? Like, uh, when you're it would have changed my life. Impressionable. It really changed my life. Yeah. 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 I know Zach was talking to us earlier. He's like very deep in the book right now. <laughs> um, you were talking to us about how she has influenced your work as a teacher. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? So yeah, I'm tr- like the reason I'm so like intensely looking through looking this book something? right now is there is this perfect quote that is like she would assign her students some such simple projects as 200 sketches and draw 150 items from the library yeah and just all these incredibly exhaustive <laughs> assignments which i had just done for my typography students nice. and all of them but one complained which i think is a good thing that is, um, yeah. <laughs> do you want to yeah. find your quote and Go ahead and find your quote. I have no idea where so it is. in the meantime, I should have highlighted really quickly. So Sister Mary Carita taught her classes at Immaculate Heart. So her classes at Immaculate Heart were actually like very avant-garde, like definitely. All the time. And very interestingly, some of her students were famous people that we know as being like highly influential so people such as alfred hitchcock john cage buckminster fuller charles and ray eames she had very famous students who went on to be famous so yeah she, she like, influenced these people she definitely got noticed as a pop artist in the 60s. So in the 1960s, she saw Andy Warhol's soup cans. Mm -hmm. And this was before he was a big name. This was when he was relatively unknown. But she saw these soup cans and they struck a chord with her. Yeah, she was inspired. Yeah, she was very much, very much inspired by what he was doing. And she saw a lot of very interesting parallels between what was happening in pop art and what was happening in the Catholic Church. Whoa. Which is a fascinating parallel. Oh my god, my please opinion. elaborate. <laughs> okay, so, and Zach, please chime in whenever you like. So at this point in time, the Catholic Church was undergoing kind of a makeover. Huh. People were intimidated by the Catholic Church. Mass was entirely in Latin still at this time. Oh. The Catholic Church was very traditional back in the 60s. I mean, and it continued for a long time after that as well, but it was still strictly, completely traditional. Mass was always in Latin. If I remember correctly, the priest typically faced away from the... Yeah, from the, they faced towards the altar. Yeah, they faced... So, backs to the congregation. Yes. Wow. So the priest has back to the congregation, kind of Bob Dylan style. <laughs> and, oh, if only Nat was here. <laughs> and it would be entirely in Latin. And I mean, Catholicism continues to be very entrenched in ritual. The and liturgy, history. but the it, but at this point in time, it was 
on another level. Mm -hmm. And so they were undergoing this kind of this makeover where they were trying to make it more appealing, more accessible, more accessible, less scary for people. And so otherwise known as Vatican II. Yes. Oh yeah. I, I was love thinking about that. That would be a great band name. Otherwise known like as Vatican II. Movie, like, the second Vatican, Vatican Council. Two. <laughs> True. Otherwise known as Vatican II. Vatican II. <laughs> That's my yeah. um crust punk band. <laughs> Vatican II. <laughs> I love it. Uh, brought down by JP One. the first jp1 (laughs) so vatican ii was this catholic makeover and all of a sudden mass was in english and the priest was facing the people and so it became a little more accessible to be fair though it's still a catholic mass there's still a heavy amount of ritual like there's still a lot of those things going on but yeah it's a little more accessible and Karita Kent is seeing in pop art some commentary on things that mirror what's going on in the Catholic Church. This kind of watering down, this accessibility, this... Are we going to get into a debate? We're going to debate. <laughs> I, oh, I saw Zach. I, I His I eyes knew. just okay. widened. A Zach Corey debate is going to happen right here, right now. Oh, no, no. Finish your thought. No, I want to I hear what you uh, Well, no, say. I, and much like most of our debates, begin with <laughs> one of us probably not fully understanding the other's intentions. Or picking up on, like, some little nuance and then just taking it way too yeah, far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say that you like I, I think there are two different ways to think about what you said of a like trying to bring a highness down sort of a hierarchical destroying yeah. yes. um, it's sort of what you're saying I used to absolutely hate Andy Warhol but I have come I still uh, hate him I, I've completely come around <laughs> I am a full Andy Warhol convert now and I think that I would say my Andy Warhol evolution has been a little has been the opposite I don't hate him I really don't. There are things about him I really do. Uh, I don't like him. Jen really doesn't like him. <laughs> there are things about him I really do appreciate, but I used to really like him, and I like him less now. So, but I think that what he did and what Carito was especially doing to what you're saying is not so much about bringing, destroying the hierarchy from the top, but from elevating from the bottom. Um, for sure, for and sure, yeah. that like bringing, how do you mean bringing meaning to commonplace, and okay, so char- okay. charging a media, or charging meaning into the everyday versus bringing down. Yeah. Okay. I totally. I yeah. So maybe this isn't going to be one of our debates because I totally agree. Um, <laughs> right. Um, I actually have a really good example of that. So she did a print titled Bell Brand. Are you familiar with what yes. I'm talking about? Essentially, like a brand logo for potato chips. Aww. Her, like, I love this. I love everything about this because she's also kind of infusing it with her personal experience, the fact that her Catholicism is central to her work, and has viewed it as kind of a metaphor for uh, transubstantiation. Oh. Interesting. What <laughs> is the chip? The host? Yes! <laughs> so if you Why are not? not familiar with transubstantiation, it is the moment in Catholic Mass when the host becomes the body of Christ. So the host is the little gross wafer <laughs> that the, yeah. you know, so backstory, Corey and I and Zach were, uh, 
<laughs> Wait, Ginny, what, what I we... went to a Catholic high school. Okay, so oh, we all, Catholics all around. So we all have a Catholic upbringing, and the host. Well, is, you, you I, just, I don't. Okay. But I, I went to a Catholic high school, so I know. So when was your know. first communion? Oh, I wasn't even baptized. Wow, well, heretic over here. I I did eat the host though, and my mom was like, "You're (gasps) not supposed to do that." My bad. All my friends did it. So, Ginny, you're a bad girl. You know what? I mean, I'm not saying that the fact that I was a Catholic means anything, but you know what? You got my blessing. You can eat the host. Yeah, you can can have the host. You know why? Because it's gross. Um, (laughs) So the host is this weird, like, you know, styrofoam. It's like styrofoam. It's like eating styrofoam. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna, this is... Pouring it styrofoam. No, this is going to be a testament to the fact that I grew up in the Midwest and I love bland (laughs) food. Corey can get down on a packet of hosts. (laughs) I could. A packet of hosts is what I would eat if I had like terrible food poisoning. Dude, yeah, it's like all you can. I didn't hate it. I did not hate it. I hated it. I was raised Mexican Catholic. We eat bomb food, and the host was literally like styrofoam. But if we're gonna talk about Mexican bread, like it's not that great. It's always dry. Excuse me. Have you never had a fresh concha? All I'm saying is that Mexican bread isn't exactly the like archetype of fluffy, flavorful bread. With do you not world. like pan dulce? <laughs> I don't. You're out of here. <laughs> Leave out of your own house. Get out. <laughs> don't get me wrong. The rest of Mexican cuisine, I'm totally with you. But I love pan dulce. Come on, Zach. So we're digressing, but the chance substantiation is essentially you eat the gross styrofoam bread and it's actually the body of Christ. It's Jesus at that moment. You're eating Jesus. It's cannibalism. It is cannibalism. I'm writing a paper on this right now, actually. Yeah, cannibalism. It is cannibalism, which is super fascinating. You should also write, Jen, you need to do a Art History Babes blog post about that. Going to. Because it's super interesting because, yeah, let's be real, it is cannibalism. If you... And I study cannibalism. Yeah, if you're like, hey, this is the body of Christ, and I mean the body of Christ, like, it's cannibalism. That's all there is to it. Hey, um, <laughs> but <laughs> going. <laughs> I need another drink. <laughs> go. All right, let's go back to the work of Karina Trent. We need to do a beer pause. Quick, We're going to take a break. <laughs> a quick drink pause. We're going to go refill our drinks, and we will be right back. We're out of control. Is this like the commercial break? Yeah. Yes. Oh. I need a bathroom. This is where we'll put an advertisement for work buttons. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Where's the copy? Can we do a live read here? Organic TM pounds. Talking about our girl, Karita Kent, with our boy, Zach Clarkus. Clarkus. <laughs> So, where we left off, we were talking about transubstantiation, which is some crazy biz. It is really crazy. (laughs) And we were talking specifically about a work that Kent did called Bell Brand, which was in the style of pop art, and it was kind of a play off of potato chips potato chips as the host and then there's this quote by her also bell brand potato chips is a reference to the fact that during transubstantiation during a mass the priest rings a bell 
So that's where the oh, really yeah that's where the word that's bell comes right. from. That's right. Um, I don't remember that at all. I believe you. <laughs> um, so bell brand. It's a reference to transubstantiation. And there's a quote by her in regards to this work where she says, the divine can be present anywhere, even in a potato chip, which I love. I love with my whole heart. Yeah. I love it so much. God. She's amazing. Zach, would you like to talk more about transubstantiation and its effects on her work? Uh, well, I would first like to really follow up your last quote with another quote. Yeah. Uh, that she gave saying, We went just as the prince go from very definitely, narrowly perhaps, religious subject matter from the point where it dawned on me that any subject matter was religious. Oh. I love it. I love it. And going where you were with the transubstantiation, right along that same time, she made a lot of pieces that are, in my opinion, some of her more famous work of her earlier career that was really all tied around Wonder Bread and playing with that packaging in a much more sophisticated, interesting way, in my opinion, than how Warhol was treating things like his Brillo boxes. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, again, I, I still find to be really wonderful pieces. Right. She was taking it and skewing it just a step further. And really, a lot of that Wonder Bread work was coming from packaging that, I admit, I don't know what Wonder Bread packaging looks like these days. I haven't bought it in a while. But in the 50s and 60s, it had a lot of these polka dots on right. it. I think that, it still does. Yeah, I think it... Yeah, I don't yeah, even know sure. if it's changed. Yeah, no, I don't know if it yeah. has either. But she... I, I feel like that would be, like, suicide, like, yeah. by mm-hmm. for their for their brand. I feel like it's oh. so ingrained in their brand. Oh, God, we could get a whole tangent about branding and how, like... Right. Karita had a whole career as a designer also and so respected as a typographer. Right. Um, in a way that very... Part of why I really relate to her is the fact that she really walked that line between art and design her entire sure. career in a way that is very tricky and honestly like not the most lucrative decision to make but like if that's where your art is taking you to yeah, follow it for sure well, uh, hold on i don't mean to interrupt but what is the line between art and design that's a huge question i know but it popped up and i just you know oh gosh where do i even start with that? yeah i don't question. know that we well i mean even... oh no i mean i can give what like the answer that i would give like any of my students is that like yes is that design is work that is meant to convey a specific message typically with a product in mind okay. where Art, I think, is a much more expressive, open-ended sort of... I mean, they both are carrying messages, for sure, but one is pointed. So uh, design is more pointed. I think so. Okay. I think that's a, that's okay. a good that's definition. Really good. That's yeah. good. I like that. I just literally brought that up for our listeners who might be thinking, well, what is that line? You know? Because I wondered... Yeah. Well, no, and I mean, <laughs> like, that question becomes even blurrier within printmaking, where so much of printmaking exists for industrial purposes and for, you know, letterpress exists because of making books and of making advertising and of making newspapers. Like, it also exists within an artistic world. And same with, you know, screen printing. Like, that's how we make giant banners. Lithographs, like, that is how commercial printing was done until 
30 years ago, but it also has a fine art context. To me, part of what I really love about printmaking, and specifically screen printing and letterpress, the mediums I work the most in, is because you are really walking this line that you can make commentary on both sides. I like that. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And so with Corita, she was already existing within this medium that danced between the two and was using advertising as her source material. But she was always spinning it a little. And she was always putting a little bit into it and manipulating it a little bit, pushing it much more into the art realm of of things. But still always dealing with source with advertising and other sort of commercial printed material as her source material a lot of the time yeah she in my opinion is like the bridge where ed ruche and andy warhol meet oh interesting yeah i think that's i think that's fair i like that she like the fact we don't the fact that we don't all talk about her as much as we talk about those two is a prime i've never Uh, i never have heard of this woman until I asked Corey, what are we talking about on this podcast? And she said, Karina Kent. And I was like, who is that? And I looked her up. I had never heard of her before. Dude, it's so, yeah. Because I really, I really like that assessment. Yeah, she does. For sure. Because she has work, which we'll talk about a little later, that is specifically kind of working off of Ed Ruscha. She was influenced by Warhol. She works in that space. And she was very much respected by them. She yeah. was respected oh. by Ruscha. She was respected by Warhol. Yeah. They would encourage people to go see her work. Like, she was very much in the circle. Obviously, she was a nun. She wasn't, like, going and hanging out at the factory for obvious reasons. (laughs) But, like, she was, as an artist, was respected in that circle, but yet we don't talk about her. Yeah, I mean, she was on the cover of Art Forum. Yeah. Yeah. And she is very much, she is a part of L.A. art that, you know, Baldessari, Ruscha. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like, not so much the minimalist artists that were living in L.A., but, like, even still, a lot of this sharper, cleaner, especially if we compare it to like art that was happening in San Francisco at the exact same time, that is all just like messy, crazy. <laughs> there, um, like there's an approachableness to it that is still true, in my opinion, about absolutely what makes LA art what it is today as well. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, yeah. I just got so jazzed about it. (laughs) No, but you know what? It's really amazing that this woman is so new to us. I can't believe it. I mean, I had heard of her before loosely. Really? Yeah, but more as like a nun artist. The name. Oh, a nun artist. Yeah. She's a nun. Yes. She's an artist. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know a lot of details about her. So, like, I knew kind of tangentially, like, okay. But, yeah, it's amazing. She's still not super widely known. Yeah, and I totally agree. Like, as I said, I do have respect for Andy Warhol. I do like pop art, but I am much more intrigued by her work than a lot of Andy's work, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think it's multidimensional in a way his isn't. I think she's oh, she's definitely commenting on things he never touched. Like, mm-hmm. I think Or commenting on anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Andy Warhol's not really saying anything. Yeah. He's projecting an alternate view of a thing we all know. Mm-hmm. Which is 
Which I think in its own, we should all be questioning, especially, we should all be questioning the approachable and the commonplace around us. And I think that on its own is valuable. And and that's sort of what's made me change my opinion about Andy Warhol. I can't believe we're talking about Andy Warhol this much. Um, (laughs) Is that like, he he really is one of the first people that is like, really like throwing commonplace Mm -hmm. out to like, to scream at you yeah, in a way yeah. that you were used to it just whispering to me. I, yeah. Dude, I totally agree. That's For what, sure. That's what I like about him mm-hmm. as well. I totally yeah. agree. But she kind of took that. She took that influence and I think she made it way more meaningful. Well, she definitely approached it from a, at least to put my two cents, she, rather than saying that like, here's this thing, what is this thing that you see every single day? She was approaching it from a, here's this thing you see every day that's in the world and it's part of the world and it's just like, it is part of creation the same way we are part of creation. Yeah. And that there is a, you know, there's a really vibey symbiosis totally. to, to yes. all of it. And that even includes advertising. Yeah. I don't know that it's a term she embraced. Maybe it was, but she was very much kind of a mystic in her approach to things. Like, you know, and you can be a Catholic mystic. Mm-hmm. It's legit. Yeah. It's totally fine. Oh, yeah. Catholic um, mystics have been around forever. And I ever. love Catholic mystics. Like, that's a vibe I can get down on. Like, I think she had a very mystical approach to her art, to her religion, to the way she just saw everything. And her work was trying to bring that in a way that other people could experience it. Like, look at the divine and the everyday, which is taking it a step further than Andy Warhol. He was never talking about the divine. Mm -hmm. He was just talking about the everyday, you know? And she's like, let's go a little further with this. I was actually going to throw a wrench in everything and suggest that we also (laughs) do Agnes Martin because they, like, they fall into the same realm of, like, mystic slash, like, don't give a about the art world <laughs> no. um, yes. and like forced yes. seclusion there's such a similar tie that happens i love um, agnes so much if uh, you haven't you should head over to the art bros youtube nat and i did agnes did. martin yeah 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 on bit. a clear day right yeah we talked about on a clear day but i know both nat and i really love her and we should probably do a full episode yeah on her at some point and if anybody from the whitney is listening Put Island series back on view because where it was at the old Whitney building was a emotional experience. Speaking of Agnes, we had. (laughs) Speaking of Agnes, we had a differing opinion. I remember you telling me you don't like the Agnes room in SF MoMA. Oh no, I'm so offended by the Agnes. I love the Agnes. I love the room. I hate the fact. That, that it is so away. that it is so tucked away. And I love know, it. Like <laughs> I love it in theory because it is that, like so. I am of one of two thoughts here. Okay. One is the like I love the seclusion and the fact you have to find it, which is like very a fantastic narrative for her and her choices as an artist. I agree. For sure. I hate that it is a room off of a room through a separate hallway of the heaviest hitters of male artists of her same time period that it others her in an institutional way that I don't appreciate. Okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's a really good critique. Yeah, because I personally love the Agnes Room for the reasons you said. I love that it's its own space. I love that I get to just, like, be in this room with Agnes. I think it... 
I think it should be its own space. I think it works really well for her work. But yeah, I can see that that critique of the having to move through. But at the same time, doesn't that kind of say something about her place as an artist, having to move through the heavy hitters of male abstract expressionism to get to her work? If I, be- if I believed in the altruism of the Fisher collection, yeah. um, I would say yes, but I don't. That's fair. That, <laughs> like, is, that is fair. I think the Fisher collection, while it is a collection that does not exist on the West Coast, and it's wonderful that way for our ability to see art, and especially to see like those Anselm Kiefer's. Oh, incredible! They're so great. Um, and like those Ellsworth Kelly's are. I could yeah. just go to an Ellsworth Kelly museum and be a happy guy. The Ellsworth Kelly's are really great. Too. Um, I think that for better or worse, a significant amount of that is like investment art. Definitely. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I that's fair. But that was our, our Agnes Martin diatribe. Uh, but <laughs> we keep getting thrown off like course to interesting aisles on the yeah. route to where we've been To going, be honest, but... this has been a fantastic conversation, and I wouldn't change a bit of it. I hope um, you all are ready for, like, the long... What's the longest episode you guys have done? Oh, like oh, two God. hours. Oh, two okay. Hours. Oh, we, we we're fine. fine. We're fine. You know? I got, we a, talked, I got a backup beer. We talked to Alan Templeton forever. For all of time. That was like a three hour. <laughs> yeah. It was like three hours and we cut it down to like, what, like two? It was super long. I do remember like the other night I almost we... listened to it in the studio and I was yeah. like, this is a long one. It's good though. Oh, oh, it's a really good I'll one. I'll get to what I just was doing. Things. Yeah, if you haven't yet... <laughs> Alan Templeton's a lovely man, and he has some very valuable things to say about art and the art market, so listen to that episode if you haven't. Bringing it back to Corita Kent. Bringing it back. So, we were just talking about the way she navigated pop art, and the way she incorporated her religious beliefs and the divine into pop art, which is just really cool. Once again, it's one of those things where... No matter what your religious affiliation is, or if you're religious, or if you're not, like, you've got to have respect for this kind of approach. Because I think it's just really beautiful and really honest. And it just expressed who she was and what she cared about in a very real way. And, And in a very accessible way, because she's trying to meld the everyday, the pop art aesthetic with the divine and like her religious beliefs. I think it's an amazing feat that she has attempted and accomplished. One work that she is very well known for that I think really plays with both of these things, and I think Zach might have some things to say, is her 1964 screen print, The Juiciest Tomato of All. <laughs> oh god, we didn't get to any we, we still can. We can come back. It's okay. <laughs> but let's talk about the juiciest tomato of all, which is a very clear blending of her Catholicism I love and, it. and pop art. Do you want to talk about it a little bit, Zach? You already go for it. It's okay. I'll, I'll, you know, you lay it up. I'm just going to oop it in. I mean, essentially, it is, it's a reference to the Virgin Mary. Yeah. Well, Jen's giving me a look. I'm like, excuse me? It had a connection at one point with the mystical rose. That's Ooh. a direct quote. Ooh. Can oh. you elaborate on I'm that? Just re- I'm just reading this quote. This is- no. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Why does a juicy tomato elicit this response? Please explain. Please go on about this work. My approach to this work is that she's 
like I said, she's kind of towing this line of I'm she's playing with Vatican II Catholicism. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's so juicy. The vir- yeah, the Virgin Mary as a juicy tomato. Like that. What what a tomato! <laughs> that is so juicy and perfect that not an ounce more can be added. We long for the groaning board. The table overburdened with good things. So much we can never taste, let alone eat all there is. Oh! How uh, like, feel things? Oh! So it's worth pointing out that what, what Jen was reading just there was all written within her prints. So for it's those, on the print. Those of you who aren't familiar with her work, she uses advertising text and commercial text as the largest, like, she uses them more as, like, compositional choices a lot of times, and then will handwrite entire chapters of the Bible or entire speeches for Martin Luther King on to what she was screen printing. And also, we're an hour and a half in. We have not said that she's a screen printer. Like, that is her work. She screen prints. And what's the... Serograph? That's another word for screen printing. I know, but is that the correct term? Serograph? I like... Some people. This gets into the printmaking nerdery that I talked about at the beginning. Well, I honestly, just for my own edification, is it seriograph or is it serograph? Um, I've always heard serograph, actually. Serograph. Okay. Serograph. So Zach's about to lay some truth onto us. What is this? So look up the juiciest tomato of them all. We'll have it on our images. In the A... It gets real juicy. <laughs> Mary Mother is the juiciest tomato of them all. I mean, is she not? Like, let's... <laughs> I mean, Zach is yeah. furiously flipping through his Oxford... Uh, the NRSV. The new Oxford Annotated Bible. It's the, it's the NRSV translation for anyone out there at home. We're about to hear um, about the juicy tomato. Well, no, I'm, do, you, do you prefer the NRSV to, like, King James? Oh, so, the King James is actually kind of bullshit. That's um, what I, yeah. And it's, oh. uh, I mean, it, he's right. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it you is, heard it here first. It is an inferior translation wow. for most biblical scholars. But it does um, have, like, that old-timey feel to yes, it. Yes, <laughs> but because of that, like, the actual translations from Hebrew and Greek are totally funky. Interesting. Because it was... It, it's translated from these ancient languages into a dialect, and so it's it's very strange. Yeah. Also, I heard something, and I really need to do the research on this, but I had read something on the internet that the King James Version uh, was written because King James had a gay lover, and... Um, the church what? kept getting on his case about it because he kept promoting King James. Yes, and he uh, kept he kept promoting his lover higher in the ranks through oh, through English nobility. Sure, and the church kept getting on his case every single time. And so at one point he was like, "Fine, you know what? I want a new version of the Bible." And so he sent the entire Episcopalian church out to go write the King James version uh-huh. so that they would stop meddling in his personal affairs. So the entire translation was all just like a diversion from something else anyways. Oh my god. I have not done my research to prove that's right. If any listeners out there like can refute that or support that, Zach at ZachClarkIs.com. <laughs> yeah. Please. I need to know if this is true. Or I would email sounds... us arthistorybabes at gmail.com. We'll let him know regardless. Yeah. I would not be surprised that's at super all interesting. if that were true. Because kings have done 
before oh, yeah. to benefit their own personal intimate lives well, as far as religion goes. I wouldn't be surprised. That makes perfect sense. When you created an entire denomination yes. to to refute divorce. Ex- like exactly, because dude. you exactly, wanted to bang dude. who you wanted to bang. Like yes. Yeah, man. I mean Anne Boleyn, she was cool, but like, wow. Oh, Bad man. news. There is no reference to tomato in the concordance oh. of NRSV. Which, it's yes, okay, the NRSV okay. is my preferred translation for academic <sighs> purposes. In terms, while we're talking <laughs> about the Bible and biblical quotes, though, going back to what I was talking about earlier, I was talking about that documentary about Corita Kent, and she had her students talking about her, and obviously Corita Kent was a very hard worker. Like we said, she made her students work hard. She believed in working very diligently, and there was a quote from the Bible that she apparently used to repeat to her students kind of about her process which was to whom much is given much will be required Ooh. which is mm. it's Luke 12:48 one of her students talked about how like that Bible quote sounds like it could be kind of like you're full of yourself, but that Karita Kent wasn't full of herself at all, which I I don't think she was. But she essentially believed as a nun, like she was given these gifts, like she was given an ability to see things visually, to think about things in this very artistic way. And as a result, she felt it was her duty Mm -hmm. to make the art. Yeah. Which I love with my whole soul. Like, I just think that's so beautiful that she was like, okay, I have this gift that's been given to me. I obviously can see things that maybe other people don't notice or, or I've been given this artistic ability. And she took that as her sign from God that she needed to make art. She needed to do the work. No matter what your religious affiliation is, I just think that's a really beautiful approach to life. For sure. Like, to stop and say, okay, what am I naturally inclined to do? What am I a little bit, like, a little bit better at than maybe the average person? And then to take that and say, okay, that's my gift. I'm going to take on that responsibility and I'm going to do something with it. And then she did. And she was She did it. Oh, God. I have so many things to say about everything. (laughs) Talk. Just go for it. Uh, um, <laughs> so this makes for really great radio. There, I really liked that. That was wonderful. Um, I really like, like it too. Because it as you said that, I was like, yeah, that said like all throughout the Gospels. Like that's not that. Like duh, duh. Um, but then, like you really spun that into like you completely described like my motivation as an artist and because like being an artist is stupid (laughs) no one should want to do this right dude if you think being an artist is stupid what do you think being an art historian is (laughs) the most ridiculed people on the planet uh, but, <laughs> philosophers. Uh, but see, no, I would argue. I would argue that art historians are exponentially more valuable than artists. Interesting to culture. Wow, um, interesting. We wouldn't have a job if there weren't artists. Yeah. True, but True but that. like us idiots can just make <laughs> forever, and <laughs> like art. But art historians are responsible for documenting and sussing out what was and wasn't worthwhile is really important. I'm gonna like, get emotional. Thank you, Zach. Well, I could argue that, like, as an artist, it's not my... Like, it's my job to be critical within what I'm making. Right. It's not my job to be critical 
of output. And that's your job to decide, like, what is worth talking about, what is worth preserving. Yeah, but don't you you see how that can fall into bullshit hands, though? Oh, 100% that you can say that about, like, any industry in the world. That's true. True. Right. (laughs) There there are opportunistic jerks out there everywhere. Yeah. Well, to backpedal. Like, (laughs) being an artist is stupid. I am probably... And more talented at plenty of other things. I like. I should go work in logistics. I know that I'm good at that. But there have been enough opportunities that have landed in my lap that I don't deserve. That have led me to believe that I'm supposed to be making art. That that mm-hmm. is like that is God's plan for me. And I sometimes wish it wasn't because it's stupid and it's hard. But Dude, I agree with everything you said 100 percent. the fact that i even ended up at like uc davis in a master's program and i ended up with like a podcast with all of you about art history it's like some days i'm like why like why is my path art history really i would be really good at a lot of things i thought why Why am i doing this i've thought why but i've also thought like how lucky that we all met each other. <laughs> For sure. I mean, it's on that... F- I mean, because we've also talked before about, I mean, like, why are we in the arts? Why do we choose this? No. It's hard. And Jobs are hard to come by. And we live in the most expensive state in the United so States. So expensive! <laughs> yeah. It's out of control. Yeah. So I... And yeah. yet here we are. Yeah. And I... So I totally agree with that idea. Like, yeah. why? And then I have these moments where it's like... Well, the work there I'm, must be some reason. Yeah, the work I'm doing seems to be resonating with people, you lovely people out there, and so it makes me go, "Hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing," and with that comes responsibility. It comes. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. It comes a level of like, okay, I just have to do this, I guess. But also, like, we are getting so off the rails. I'm sorry, Karita. <laughs> Like, I have a very good friend, Emily Torella, who her and I have talked a lot about how the art history that, like, we most commonly talk about of, like, especially America's art history from the 50s, 60s, early 70s, right in that post-war period, are a lot of people that they had to be artists. They made art because they had no other way to comprehend, like, what was going on in the world. And we... We are at, like, the tail end of the first generation of people who have chosen to be artists. And we yeah, get to be artists. For sure. Definitely. Um, for sure. And, like, that is a very strange thing. And so to be somebody who has decided that, like, they have this commission, if you will. I mean, it's also totally worth pointing out that, like, it's a complete privilege that I get to do this. That yeah, I That yeah. I have a situation that allows me to do this really unlucrative thing and follow this thing that I think is really important. I'm really lucky. For sure. The pressure that that applies to not not just be making work because you love making art, but to decide that like I have this agenda, agenda is not the right word. This like mission that has been placed upon me and so your art not only needs to be like good and interesting and honest and true, but also like I know within my work, I'm really, and part of why like political work is really tricky for me is that like, I don't just want to make like Trump work, even though that's what I'm feeling, Yeah, but it's not, it's not. And I think that, you know, to go back to, to Corita as a Christian, I feel like I have to make work that is still inclusive while addressing 
very divisive and inclusive subjects. Definitely. Um, And that is a tricky thing. So that's everything I was feeling off of what you were saying. (laughs) I really appreciate that response because, I mean, once again... We're astrologically on the same level. So. When we're not fighting, we are just emotionally. <laughs> like make, we are just. It yeah, is. It's weird. We are in love with our minds. It's so true. I love each our, other's. I, well, and and our own because we're Scorpios. Exactly. Huh? I love it. <laughs> you put that right out there. I'm just, I'm just saying it. No. It's well, true. not I've only. You know I've dated Scorpios almost exclusively. We are in love with you everyone love and ourselves yeah. all the time. Thank you. That this is, is true. so perfect. Like, we are uh, in love with everyone and ourselves all the time. We're just like, yes, yes, yes. We don't get enough respect for how emotionally exhausting <laughs> no, no it respect. is. <laughs> but I really liked where you kind of took what I had to say because, I yeah, I agree with everything you said about that Bible passage and... I think in general, we all live in a time where our generation, millennials, are very privileged. Like, we're all privileged, you know? Every one of us is very privileged in a way that some previous generations weren't. Even though I kind of hate (laughs) the way previous generations are handling our current situation, like, we're very privileged in the sense that we are given the ability to decide... Mm-hmm. what we want to do with our lives. And yeah, we're we're able to decide if we want to be artists, if we want to be writers. Some of us. Yeah. Not at everyone. But it's available to a lot more people than it's ever been. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So not everyone, but it's available mm-hmm. to a lot more people than it's ever been. And that's why we have the emergence of the creative class. The creative class has become a thing. Yes, we like economize it. Yeah, exactly. So now so- I just need to say I miss you guys so much, <laughs> oh, and there are sad. so many things I want to talk about constantly. We're gonna talk about so much. Okay, so keep, keep, about keep so going. Much. I just okay, need to okay. say that. Do you need to wrap up on our girl? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, like, what happened to Jimmy? Is, yeah, he's... no, no. Ginny and I are both like, what happened? We to also Karina? need. We all also need to go get dinner and like. Sober I'm so up hungry and. <laughs> you have no what? idea. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna say one thing. I'm then drunk we, then we're gonna finish up on some important stuff on Karita. So the art history babes, we like came into grad school, mm. and Zach was like our first friend from the art. He was so good. Studio. So Jenny's not sure. She's no, no, it's true. <laughs> That's my like remembering face. Yeah, it, it was cynical. It was our first. Because I'm remembering. It's a cynical-looking face, but I'm not cynical. I remember me, Corey, and you had a discussion about Stevie Nicks versus Christine McVie. Oh, that was probably our first fight. Because you were like, Christine McVie, Christine Perfect. Wow. Who would pick her over (laughs) Nicks? Oh, dude. Whoa. Hey, hey, listeners, your next Patreon episode is going to be us debating Stevie (laughs) Nicks and Christine McVie. Okay, to be fair. We're doing three episodes tonight. Officially. (laughs) To be fair, I've got respect for for Christine. As I do for Stevie. Yeah, for sure. Wait, let's not go crazy. 
crazy right now. No. We gotta wrap up this episode. I know. I'm, I'm finishing. I'm finishing. But I love Stevie. Like, I'm sorry. I was thinking, it's so weird you brought that up because I was thinking about that today. <laughs> oh my God. I was listening to Fleetwood Mac and I was thinking about that today. But anyways, yeah. Yeah. that was legitimately our first debate fight. Me and you, Zach. Those are rumors. <laughs> Great album. All true. One of, one of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah. So Zach came over and he kind of welcomed us into the art world at UC Davis. And because of him, I think we had a very solid connection with the art students while we were in grad school that we may not have had without you. I don't think we would have. I made a lot of close friends. Yeah. A lot of close friends. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, we have to give RL the previous credit. Yeah. Because her desire to reach out to us caused the reciprocation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And we kind of reaped the benefits coming in the year after, I think. So for all of you out there that are either artists or art historians in grad school, reach out meet each other meet each other because beautiful things will happen it's amazing it's beautiful and it's fun and you do cool things together and that's why we have our good friend zach clark with us today to wrap things up on our girl karita before we went on a crazy tangent so many tangents (laughs) no but i think i think this tangent was completely oh I think 100%. it was great. I think it was a great Yeah, tangent. earlier we're a little wild. It was like a soul tangent. It was for the soul. For it sure. was good. Mm-hmm. And I think Karita would agree. It oh, was she yeah. is she is singing on Eagle's wings up there. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> no, right? She's excited, I think, about mm-hmm. what we're saying. So we kinda left off. We were talking about her relationship, you know, the way she melded pop art and Catholicism. She brought this whole level of like avant garde. To Catholicism, to Immaculate Heart in L.A. And not everyone was excited about that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the Archdiocese of L.A. Cardinal McIntyre, specifically. Cardinal McIntyre. Oh, you McIntyre. son of a gun. He was not happy about how progressive she was being and what she was teaching. Of course not. I know, right? He liked old Catholicism. He was not happy about Vatican II. He actually attended Vatican II in protest. What a jabroni. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there was a handful of them that attended Vatican II in protest. Like, no, Catholicism's got to stay old school. And yeah, he was one of them. And as a result, Carita Kent moved to Boston. Oh, yeah. So she moved to Boston. And when she got there, she engaged in a pretty large-scale project that was influenced largely by Ed Ruscha and his Mm -hmm. work with the Hollywood sign. Ah, yes. So, Ed Ruscha, you know a lot about Ed Ruscha. Do you want to talk about, quickly, his work with the Hollywood sign? I mean, Zach probably, to be fair, knows more and or has, like, a more personal connection to Ruscha. I have... You can go. I'll, I mean, I'll say it. I know you're... You go do what Just you're Just quickly. Do. What? Okay, Ed Ruscha, printmaker, painter. He was not originally from California, but came to California and lived in LA and was very enamored with a lot of kind of the Hollywood aesthetic. And so a lot of his art 
centers around different kind of Hollywood landmarks like the sign, but also did a lot with text in art where he would have street signs that made up different parts of LA and incorporated into his work. So it's very kind of this blend of like Southern California, you know, like the new West kind of development thing. So cat. Yeah, yeah. So that's Ed Ruchain, a very, very tiny, tiny nutshell. Yeah. The, the smallest nutshell. <laughs> the, the tiniest. The smallest nutshell. And what he did was he did work revolving around the Hollywood sign, which led yeah. to the Hollywood sign being revived yeah. in a lot of ways. He yeah. was like, the Hollywood sign was old and dilapidated. Because he would paint it as being decrepit as it was. Yeah. yeah. So the Hollywood sign was old and dilapidated, and he brought attention to that, and as a result... L.A. like upped their game on the Hollywood sign, yeah. largely thanks to Ed Ruscha. Well, what Corita Kent did is she moved to Boston, and there was this huge natural gas tank that was very much in the skyline of Boston. It's it's very large, and it takes up, depending on where you're standing, it takes up an element of the skyline in Boston. And so she, in the style of Ed Ruscha, took this on as a project is an attempt to reinvigorate the skyline, reinvigorate this big thing that was taking over the image of Boston. And she painted in a very pop style this sort of rainbow on to this giant natural gas tank. And yeah. we'll have an image on our website. And as a result, she turned it into a landmark. It became a landmark of Boston, a large natural gas tank that she reinvigorated with her vision of something beautiful. So once again, it goes back to this idea of finding the divine in everything. She took something that had a very real purpose, a very industrial purpose, and she said, okay, this is in the skyline of our city. Let's make it more beautiful. Let's find a way to make it more special. Um, it's really beautiful if you look at the image. It's Fairly minimalist. It's a very simple little like rainbow, but it stands out definitely. And, and I think is a really good prominent, you know, expression of her ideas and her work in a way that affects people similar to Ed Ruscha's work with the Hollywood sign. She took her work and she tried to make it for the public. She tried to make it for city spaces. She tried to make it... Not just for herself and her own spirituality, but in a way that was going to benefit everyone else. Do you want to, maybe, we don't have a lot of time, but do you want to briefly talk about her in the civil rights movement, which is super important? Oh my god, well, like, cramming this in, and I also will fully admit, like, I don't know this realm as much as I wish I did. I can say that she made a lot of work that was inspired by Martin Luther King, and even direct quotes. Like, she made a whole series of pieces that quoted, it may get me crucified, I may even die, but I want to say that he died to make men free. Hi, uh, she she so made much. just like a, a whole suite of pieces along that very anti-Vietnam. Her work changed very drastically in the later 60s. And it, it's all rather beautiful. I, um, it really is. I, 
I can't. We could do an entire episode it's on that. It's too much to say. To try and check it out. Camp, encapsulate in a couple of sentences. You guys just are going to have to look this up for yourselves <laughs> and enjoy it and discuss it. She also did a really dope alphabet. She did the circus mm-hmm. alphabet mm-hmm. in 1968, which is really fun. It's just a very fluorescent, like beautiful typography-based version of the alphabet. I mean, man. When she transitioned into Boston, she also, right prior to, but then once she was there, started working much more within commission work, within advertising, and really, she reached a little more into that graphic design world than the art world, while also making lots of watercolors. She made a transition to watercolors at that time. Back in L.A., once she left, a couple years later, the pushback from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles and Cardinal McIntyre caused the Immaculate Heart College, who their original intention was to train teachers to go out and teach throughout North America, especially within our education, caused them to no longer be sending teachers out to Catholic schools around the continent, and then eventually to completely disassociate from the Archdiocese as a whole. And so they are now to my best understanding, I might be wrong, are an autonomous Catholic institution. And the Corita Center is still there where you can see plenty of originals. You can, you can go in any day to go see it for free, and her work is still available there, which is really awesome. That is. Um, the fact that you can still buy her work for what the four of us can afford is absolutely <laughs> a crime. I know. Um, I'll reap the benefits of that, but yeah. it is a crime. But I'm going to yeah. like look into that ASAP, because I would love to own her work. I would own her work over a Warhol any day. Any day. I would agree with you 95%. But also the Andy Warhol that I want to own I feel like is that's a, and Andy Warhol. That's a basis of a lot of our arguments. <laughs> I would agree with you 95%. No, who am I kidding? And I'm going to argue that other 5% with you. <laughs> but who am I kidding? I'd rather have a credit account. Yeah, no, she's absolutely amazing. We'll have images up on our website. I don't know. I honestly, before I discovered her... I think I struggled with the lack of spirituality in pop art. And she just like brought it. She just like brought it to the table. And it's so much more real and deeper, in my opinion, than it was for me before I knew much about her. So I think her work is way more powerful than Warhol's. Once again, not to hate on Warhol, but I think her work is doing something way more at a deeper level. For sure. And, and even Ed Ruscha, once again, I like Ed Ruscha a lot too, but yeah. I just think she is tapping into something different. There's some really good stuff about her on YouTube. Look her up. We'll have sources and images on our website. She's amazing. Just another baby probably haven't heard about. So, the patriarchy. Check her out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a quick listener mail and wrap this baby up. All right, we got a listener mail from Melissa. Melissa writes to us, Hey babes, just wanted to write you and let you know how obsessed I am with your podcast. I am not an art history major, but I've always been in love with the topic. I recently went through a really big life change and considered changing my major to art history. So last semester, I took some classes to see if it was something I wanted to pursue. Side note, I ended up getting an A in both art history classes I took better grades than a lot of my friends who are actually art history majors and that was a real confidence boost for me great job melissa get it 
I ultimately decided on a different path purely because I'll finish my undergrad faster. But a couple months ago, I decided that I wanted to continue to expand my knowledge on art history since I won't be taking any classes. I spent a long time researching documentaries and books, but unfortunately right now my time is so limited for those activities. One day, I decided to delve into possible podcasts on the subject and came across yours. I've been a dedicated listener since. After your Bad Boys of the Baroque episode, I instantly subscribed and I've oh, been man. hooked. God, that's like our magnum open. I like, know. People love that. I know. Almost all of the time I spend driving, which is way too often, I'm listening to your lovely voices. I'm actually listening to your Frida episode as I write this email. Such a good episode. That's a good one. Debatable. Oh my god, you get out of here. It's a great episode. Melissa continues, I've been wanting to email you since I first started listening, but I didn't really think it through until I heard your episode on the color purple, because it was absolutely unreal. What? Since listening to that episode, I've had prints on repeat, and I actually subconsciously ended up choosing a purple shade for my nails later that day. Ha, ha. I'm sorry this took so long. Probably more information than you need, but I wanted to thank you, babes, for making this amazing podcast. It's a topic I've never considered dull, but some of the podcasts I've listened to have been hard to digest or simply bore me. I have yet to listen to an episode of yours that I don't like. You babes are so interesting to listen to, and I feel your passion and love for the subject in every episode. I just feel like I want to be your best friend. Thank you so much for helping me continue my education and interest in art history. And I just want to say, if the world were ending, I'd want to dance in the purple rain with you babes. Keep up the good work. Stay wonderful. Stay inspired and stay passionate. You're a friend and avid listener from Utah, Melissa. Oh. <laughs> oh, I got excited. Ginny's breaking things. What Thanks, a Melissa. lovely message. Melissa, that was really nice. I don't even know what to say. I know. I want to know what Melissa actually majored in. Oh, yeah. I know. What did you And also, you Melissa, I'm going to need you to send me an email <laughs> about this these life choices <laughs> as an educator. Zach needs a follow-up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Zach wants to know what you're doing now, so, you know. Also, well, how do you feel about caffeine, caffeinated soda being offered at BYU? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, we were just talking about that. So, so caffe- caffeinated soda is officially offered at BYU. It's a What's hot, up with that? hot button. If you have thoughts, email us at our history base. Someone's going to freak out. At gmail.com. Someone's going to freak out there. But thank you so much for that message. It's so lovely. I adore Utah. I don't know if I've talked about this. I lived in Utah for a really hot minute, and I love that state. It's definitely... You said that you love that state. I love Utah. So love from me to you in Utah. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you, Melissa. We're so glad you're enjoying the podcast. We have so much fun making it. And, yeah, we really like that we can maybe fill that void for Mm -hmm. people that... Went a different route and and don't have as much art history in their life as they'd like. That's what we're here for. Right, but regardless, we love it. We love it so much. Thank you. Um, Thank you, everybody. It was Corita Kent. Corita Kent. (laughs) Kind of. Right, I know. And I other topics. That was Corita Kent and a lot of other stuff. You can see some of her work always on view in Los Angeles at the LACMA. For sure. Um... The SF Mama also has a bunch of her work. The East Coast is a bunch of jerks and probably doesn't have any of hers. The Mama actually has her circus alphabet. Oh! Yeah. 
Corrected. Definitely look into her. Email us if you have any thoughts at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Also, we've been doing some extra episodes. <laughs> if you want access to them, head over to Patreon. Patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. Patreon.com. Patreon. Slash arthistorybabes. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Art history. Art history babes. Oh my god. I really you screwed, had I, one job. I screwed up my John Love er, over here. Yeah. <laughs> Zach Metz. I was really waiting to say go to Patreon <laughs> Art History Babes, whatever, to oh find out god. why Tango in the Night is actually the best through the Mac record. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh. wow. Oh my god, what a controversial person. <laughs> so many things. Controversy. Controversy. <laughs> But go to patreon.com slash artistry babe. so long. <laughs> we need to go. <laughs> I'm so hungry. Go to patreon.com slash artistry babes for extra episodes. Anything you donate will get you access. One dollar a month, you get extra episodes. So Dang. Do it. That's like too cheap. It, I know, right? We're like giving it up way too cheap. But I mean, give us a dollar and we'll give you our hearts in literally the next week we will have merch so head over to arthistorybabes.com get yourself a t-shirt a mug mug, tote 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 bag you get it write us a review on itunes 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 find us on instagram at arthistorybabes podcast twitter at arthistorybabes like us on facebook you all are amazing Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Later. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, girls. Oh, babes. of course. Am I a babe? You're a yeah. babe now. You're a total babe. Okay, cool. Just, I'm, you know, I'm figuring out the nomenclature. Yeah. Let's do Grubhub. Instead of Filipino. Because didn't Melissa say that it was going to be cold? What time is it? It was going to be sold out. It's almost eight. From got a check for $180 from UC Davis Retirement. <laughs> That's so like, weird. We're all gonna get that because I'm down. I'm so down. No one else has mentioned that to me. That's what? bullshit. I want my well, check. Well, you'll need to wait a year. It's my money and I want it now. I would really, I would really, really love to have that now. Uh, well. My money That's great though. Call J.G. Wentworth. This will go towards my retirement. <laughs> That's the commercial. I know. Oh, is that the one where they had the weird fake opera singers? They were like, hey, someone's on the Yeah. Oh, is this still going? Yeah, it's it's fine. I, oh, okay. I delete all of this. The free forming. <laughs> the free form of this is um, the definition of free. <laughs> And yeah. Free when I look up, when I look up, forming. <laughs> we gotta do two of these. That's gonna be. The yeah, blueprint. we're gonna take a break for Filipino. Food. That's yeah. gonna be the blueprint. <laughs> this episode is brought to you in part by Playful Chameleon Fingerless Gloves by Yvette Strand. They're 
Fingerless gloves from recycled materials, correct? Yeah. Yes. And they're perfect for the chilly autumn weather. Yeah. It's autumn. It's autumn. autumn. It's autumn. <laughs> yes, you didn't know. <laughs> they're great to keep your hands and arms warm and cozy on an autumn evening stroll, writing, or reading your favorite art history book. You can find a pair for yourself at playfulchameleon.com. And if you want to check them out, you can also check out Altered Couture, where they were featured. Playful Chameleon. Check them out. Which is also just the cutest thing. It is. I like chameleons.